Blog Talk Radio. It's Marsha Cook, and we have a great show today. Um, the importance of voting, and our special guest is Jeff Fleischer. And uh, I, that was uh, Judy and Gil Snyder that sing that song, that were recorded that song. Those are their words, and um, they were a client of mine for years. And um, so it's really a good song. It's kind of an upbeat song, and hopefully we'll all wake up happy on November third. <laughs> and uh, so we. <laughs> And uh, Jeff knows them also. Jeff has been my editor, as I've mentioned many times on the show. And it's too bad he can't even edit every paragraph I say when I'm writing little things. <laughs> I need help. Everybody knows I've mentioned it. And so now you're going to meet Jeff Leischer, who has edited all my books. And uh, he's got a lot of books out. He's got uh, several books out, but we, the voting books are very important. And so that's why I asked him if he'd be on the show. And uh, he's going to say a little bit about what he does and uh, how he came to vote, you know, how he came to write these books, and then we will get into a discussion. Jeff, hello, Jeff. How are you? Hi, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. We're used to talking late at night, and here we are now. And uh, so I want you to talk a little bit about what you do, and then we'll get into what we we need to talk about before the election. Sure. So the most recent book I have out, which came out in March, is the second edition of a book called Votes of Confidence, A Young Person's Guide to American Elections. And it's basically a kind of primer on everything from how elections work, how government works, how the branches of government work. So I cover things like the Electoral College, um, ballot initiatives, primaries. And the goal is really to get people starting in high school and up to understand the importance of voting, and not just in presidential elections, but in state races, local races, primaries, um, voting on, on ballot initiatives and things like that. And so, like I said, this is the second edition. So we put one out in 2016. Um, we sold out the first run, which was great. And instead of just re-releasing it, we decided to do a brand-new edition so to talk about the 2016 election, too. And I'm on top of that. I've been a political reporter for a long time. So I've done that basically from the time I was in college up until a few years ago. And then now I still do a lot of um, copy editing for political think tanks, um, writing books about current affairs. And I also write fiction. I do a lot of other things as well. So. You do a lot of things. (laughs) You do many things. And um, so, you know, 
I, I, at this point right now, you know, most people have probably made up their mind, but there are still people out right. there that are either not going to vote or they don't know what votes. So where does a person right now, I mean, if they're right now, what do they need to know right now of how to make a really good decision and not just because their friend said that to vote for a certain, you know, person? How, what do they need to know on how sure. to really pick a good candidate and how it's going to happen this year with their votes? Also, so for president this year, we're recording this just a few hours before the first of the three presidential debates. So that'll be an opportunity to be able to see both candidates side by side and hear how they respond to similar questions. Um, but also just in general, media literacy is really important. One of the big problems we run into over the past decade or so in our, just our national discourse is a lot of people have started relying on things like social media for their news or um, things like Fox News that are intentionally partisan and are not really news organizations, they're uh, political organizations that take the form of news. So they're very effective at being political organizations, but if you're watching that, that's not a good way for you to get information. So I'd say reading good newspapers is your best bet always. So reading the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Chicago Tribune, the Los Angeles Times, the Boston Globe, depending where you are. And all those will have national coverage, but also state coverage, obviously, and city coverage. But also things like the Associated Press, Reuters, um, Agence France Press, which is also AFP, um, any kind of wire service like that, where their job is to give you news, their job is not to tell you how to think about the news. And even within newspapers, making sure you're understanding when you're reading a piece, whether that's a news story or an opinion piece. So because they're branded yeah, the same yeah. way on social media, so for example, like the Wall Street Journal's opinion page is famously very, very right-wing. But that ha doesn't have an influence on how the reporters doing regular news for the Wall Street Journal are reporting. And that's an important distinction to make. So if a reporter at the Wall Street Journal breaks a big story, that has nothing to do with the ideology of their opinion page. And the same is true of any other serious newspaper. And so when you're yeah, reading I, I, things I, on social that, media, that you sounds, see the source, you know, just make sounds, sure you know I mean, what you're reading. That seems to be, right. I mean, because people, mm -hmm. you know, when they're, you know, they're always, you know, if they say this is fake news, I, I think people are so confused now. They don't know... Who's, you know, years ago, you know, probably, you know, even before you were born, like, I, you know, before we, I even voted, I mean, I think people, you know, when they had news people on, then people would listen to them, but they didn't have an opinion. You know, now you're listening to so many people out there and it's you're reading articles, you're reading social media. So I think people are getting confused, you know. So how, how do people, what do you say to people and say, look, like you just said right now, read opinion is different. And that is. Mm -hmm. So why are so many people out there so confused then? Which they are. Because there are a lot of people. There are a lot of people trying to give you false information. Like there's a, disinformation and misinformation is a big industry right now, and so it goes from everything from fake internet accounts that are just trying, not only to encourage you to vote for a particular candidate, but to encourage you to vote against another candidate. So we saw um, there have been a number of investigations over the past few years of not only social media that was pro-Trump, but the same accounts that were doing that were also setting up fake accounts to try to come across as being like very left-wing individuals trying to get people to vote against Hillary Clinton, even though they were coming from the same source. Um, so there's a lot of... You can tell when you look at a social media account, if you look at the name next to the at, anytime you see a bunch of random letter or number combinations, that's almost always going to be a bot or some kind of fake account. 
and it may not be an overseas bot. It could just be an, any individual wants to be able to tweet out things, and I have it be accountable to that. Yeah. But yeah, then, I, again, know, I, I just think reason, by now people are, like, you know, they really are confused because, you know, and, and you try, you know, and on social media, you know, as you know, I mean, social media is just what it is. It's just, you know, it's, you don't, sometimes you don't even, like you're saying, you know, you don't really know who's putting it out unless you pay attention to that. And then sometimes you'll be talking about something and you say, oh, I saw this on Internet. And that doesn't even mean it's true. So, but we're all getting used to this now. And it's very, very confusing. So, you know, and the debate, I think when they debate tonight, I think at least you'll be hearing it right there. And it won't be different clips, and you'll be the, getting the whole story at one time. So, I, how do you feel about that? How do you, how do you think that the people will react to the debates, and how do they in previous years? How important is it to the vote? What if they if they so have it, a decision or they don't have a decision? Will it help? Yeah. So historically, the debates haven't actually moved people that much, um, because most voters tend not to be undecided by the time the debate starts. But for people who are really torn between two candidates or don't really know, it can be a deciding factor in some cases. And elections that have the potential to be close, that could be enough to move a state or move a district. Um, So it it may play a role. It's not as big of a role as it sometimes made out to be. Just the historical data doesn't show that it doesn't create massive shifts from one party to the other. But it can be a deciding factor between people who, you know, want to make up their mind at the last minute, are kind of torn um, I think in this particular election so far, polls show that more people have already made up their minds than is normal for an election. Yeah. But that kind of makes sense given the election that this is. Um, the, dif- the differences between the candidates are much more stark than they were in something like the 2012 election or the t- 2000, uh, 2008 election. So in 2008 or 12, there were a fair number of people who logically like, might agree with President Obama on certain things or agree with Governor Romney on certain things and were waiting until late in the d- election cycle to make up their mind. And yeah. here, the contrast is much more stark. Yeah, because I, I, you know, I think you know, right now, I, you know, uh, I think that because people are on, the, you know, I don't see it as much because I, you know, I'm not on a yeah. lot of those pages and sites, but I do see certain things out there. But I do see a lot of people. They'll go like, "Oh, I'm not being on the internet. I'm not being on Facebook anymore because I can't take what's going on." I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't see as much. But I think if you start responding, that's when you do see. I mean, wouldn't that people that respond to something, even in a negative or a positive way, then the other people right. aren't paying? You know, that's why I don't see it because I don't respond. So what are they seeing right, like, out there? Like, yeah, like my my personal social media account tends not to have a lot of political content in it because I tend not to engage with a lot of that stuff online. Yeah. But because everything's algorithm-based, and that's been one of the problems for things such as like the, the growth of white supremacy on YouTube has been a big problem because all the algorithm is doing is just, oh, if you like this, you might also like this. So as you watch one thing, it suggests something else similar and will keep feeding you similar content until you go look at something else. And on a smaller level, that happens all throughout social media. If the algorithm learns that you're going to engage more with posts about the Cubs, you're going to get a lot more Cubs content. And that comes right. over to politics too. So I yeah. think one of the things, one of the things campaigns try to do is get you to engage with their social media material, whether you're pro or con. And so that if you are in favor of a certain candidate, your best thing you can do for that candidate is don't share their opponent's material, no matter how 
how much you disagree with something the opponent posts. You are better off sharing right. positive things about the candidate you like than negative things about the other candidate because otherwise you're just feeding the algorithm of the candidate you don't support. Yeah. So I say that's one of the things people can do to be responsible on social media. Another is don't forward things if you don't know where they're from or if they're from a bot or they're from some untrustworthy source. Um, I try to do that too. I mean, I try to do that a lot of times, yeah. even if I'm looking at a post. And sometimes, mm-hmm. if I even even a quote, anything, I try to look at the person's background, why the, why they sent this post, and if I don't mm-hmm. see that they're just it's just one of those things, or it's if it's not someone I know, or if it's just a lot of I look down on their feed and see what else they've put out there because I don't want to be part of that, so I stay out of it. That's how I remain out of it because I, I look, but I think a lot of people are so quick to like and share, and sometimes you yep. shouldn't do that because you're sharing some person that you may not even like any of their other beliefs. And if you got, if you should look maybe on their page and see what they mm-hmm. what they're writing because you don't want to be involved, and that's how oh, all sure. this involvement gets bad, I think, for people. I mean, yeah. that's definitely a factor. Another thing, too, is you'll see a lot of times well-meaning people will post something that turns out not to be true. Yeah. And so you'll see in the comment section, someone will point out to them, like, hey, this, wasn't, this has been disproven, or this was an onion story, or something like that. And you'll see them respond, like, oh, sorry, my bad. But then they don't delete yeah. the original post. Right. And so that's another practice I would advise people to do, is when you accidentally post something that's either satire or is false information, don't keep that on your feed because people still engage with your feed. They may not engage with all the comments. Not so yet. I saw a thing just yesterday, and this is not a political example, but where someone was shocked about a bill and the dollar amount on the food bill. And so multiple people pointed out that it was in a different currency, and if you converted that to American currency, it was like $10. They're like, oh, oh okay, I didn't realize that. But then they left right. it up. And so there were still more and more people commenting on their thing, telling them, you're misreading this. They kept acknowledging they were misreading it, but by keeping it up, not everyone's going to read through that entire thread. And that's a harmless example, but that happens all the time with things that are actually really harmful. So whether it's conspiracy theories, just lies about a particular candidate, intentional misinformation, like people do it with those things too. And there are always going to be like bad actors who share that stuff on purpose. But for the people who do it accidentally or do it without realizing a really helpful thing to do is just get rid of it when you realize that you did it incorrectly. Yeah. You know, um, and you can hide things too. If you, you know, you can also hide it and then it won't come on your feed. It won't be in your feed at all. You know, it will say the content's been taken off, been taken off. Right. So, you know, then, you know, then if somebody's wondering what it was, it doesn't matter because it's not there, you know. And because I think, you know, we tend to, you know, I don't think most people, well, I can't say most, but I'm saying a lot of people do scroll down all day long. But sometimes you miss mm-hmm. things, too, you know, because you don't want to be sitting on Facebook or, you know, Twitter all day. But, you know, because it really isn't good for your health mentally. It really isn't, I don't think. You know, and, um, you know, even in Instagram, I mean, it's faster. You know, you just look at it, goodbye, and you look. But on Facebook, mm-hmm. sometimes it lingers. And I, I don't know, it seems like more people are not on Facebook as they used to putting out things for me, you know. But I do notice if you're sharing something, all of a sudden, if you just share a personal thing, then they seem to go for that more than if you're trying to sell your book or talk about whatever you, you know. 
yeah. what you're trying to sell. So I think there's a lot of that going on there now. I don't know. People are, you know, people are just have a lot of time, especially now. You know, I mean, I've had a lot of shows on COVID. How do you think that the COVID is going to affect the people? Will they go to the polls, or do you think there will be as many right, you know, as many ballots sent home? We're still waiting for ours, but we did register for home ballot. But I still haven't decided what I'll do yet. Well, and it also depends state by state. I mean, one thing that I think a lot of people forget is that voting in the United States is not a federal act. It's done state by state. So there are completely different rules depending on what state you live in. Some states like Oregon for many years has been all ballots by mail. If you're a registered voter in Oregon, you get an application in the mail to fill out. Once your application is approved, you get a ballot. You fill it out, you mail it back in. And Oregon has been that way for decades. Yeah. Uh, multiple other states have started moving to that model already in the last few years. So, like, so obviously in those states, people are going to be voting by mail. In other states, like Illinois, has made it possible for everybody to vote absentee this year because of COVID. Yeah. So, like, I've already received my my ballot. I filled it out today, putting it in the mail tonight. Other states are making it much harder. But other states yeah. have early ballots already where even if it's not by mail, you can still go to a polling place right now and cast an early ballot. So there are a lot of different ways. And what people should do is just look up their own state's laws and comply with those. Yeah. So look I up think a lot of people voting don't, in you know, whatever state you're They're not sure what in. to do a lot of times. You know, because yeah. I've heard people say to me you know, that they're, they'd rather go there in person to just be there mm-hmm. and make sure. You know, and I don't know if there's going to be boxes uh, outside where people can drop in their vote. I, do you know if that's happening? I don't know. You know, it, it depends. It depends on the state. Yeah, I know. So I don't. I don't know about Illinois. So mm-hmm. I no. I I haven't received any you know mail on that. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, I think I, I people have a lot to think about this year. At, at, for mm-hmm. this vote, you know, and I think sometimes you know, and they really need to vote. So. Uh, in your yeah. opinion, like how do the younger people mm-hmm. sometimes are saying, oh, they're not going to vote. What what do you say? Because the, your, the age group of your books are for people, mm-hmm. you know, that are just starting out ready, getting ready to vote. So what what do you say when you're speaking to people? What kind of questions do they ask questions or how to get them to vote? So usually, and it winds up being kind of self-selecting because by definition the groups you're talking to are groups that are interested. Yeah. So they're already usually interested in Versus the groups that aren't as interested, but um, it's true. Even, even among young voters, the turnout get, like, so there's a lower turnout among younger voters than older voters, but it's not as dramatic in presidential elections as it is in other elections. So there's still a drop off, but it's really in midterms and off-year elections that you see the massive drop off. But in 2018, we saw an increase for the first time in a while, which is a positive step. Yeah. And in some of the early primaries this year, there was a lot of interest among young voters. I think the nature of this particular election is going to turn out a lot of people. Yeah. I think so, too. You know, um, but we then we have the COVID, which is, you know, people are afraid, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And depending on the state, though, because some people, states, as we see, are not afraid of anything, you know. But in Illinois, mm-hmm. I think our, you know, We've had pretty strict rules here, which is good, you know. And um, so I feel like that's, you know, a positive. But I think when people are just going to stand in line, you know, and they'll be, well, as we, I, I never saw lines like the, I've seen in some of the states where, 
when I voted, we just were voting. But I, in a lot of mm-hmm. states, they're waiting over an hour. That's hard yeah. to do. You mm-hmm. know, so I, you know. And that's, I, and that's, that's, not, a new, and that's I, not a new problem either. It depends what state you vote in and also where you vote. Yeah. So one of the one of the problems we've had in general for elections for a long time is voter suppression, where yeah. candidates yeah. who are afraid yeah. that if most people vote, they will lose, will find ways to try to make it difficult for people to vote. And obviously, during the prior to the Civil Rights Act, there was a lot many examples of that. Yeah. Um, since the parts of the Civil Rights Act were struck down by the Supreme Court recently, some of that's been coming back. But also, things like certain cities have fewer precincts. Like Ohio is in the process of litigating this in court, but there was an attempt to try to have one drop-off place per county. Well, some of the counties are rural and don't have very large populations. Others yeah. have Cleveland or Cincinnati or Columbus or major cities. And so even though one per county may sound fair in a vacuum, the re- they know intentionally the reality is that makes it harder for people to vote in big cities. And that's why that's being done. The one thing I, would, I always yeah. advocate with voting is we should make it as easy as possible for people to vote legitimately yeah. and do everything we can to encourage people to vote because that's how the government becomes more representative of the people of the country. Yeah. And because of things like voter suppression right now, we're living in a country where the will of the people is not very well reflected in the federal government. See, our people, the more you know, I don't know. The better. Our people, mm-hmm. do people that you've talked, I mean, do you think people pay, like mm-hmm. I do watch CNN and I do watch MSNBC, mm-hmm. but do you, you know, sometimes some of the same things are not on Fox as they're on, on the other stations. So do you think sometimes that the people are not seeing some of the information correctly? So I think that, this is a problem now that I don't recall as much mm-hmm. years ago. I mean, I wasn't voting that long, you know, forever. But, you know, but I think mm-hmm. that I don't know if they had this so much now. I mean, people are so, I mean, everybody's so mad at each other. And when they listen to something mm-hmm. on the news, then they'll say, I'm not listening to the news anymore or I'm not reading the newspaper. This is bad, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. because this is why people will stay home when you, you know, you really want them to be out there. But they're getting so much in their minds they can't handle it. And, they're, you know, there's a lot of depression now. I mean, and it's, you know, mm-hmm. be, certainly because of the COVID because they're home. And, you know, Nat, normally I don't think people are home as much. So I think people mm-hmm. are watching news and they're get, getting confused and they're listening to a lot of people. And then they go, oh, I don't care about it at all, which is not good. You know, when I had a show the other day, which I was telling mm-hmm. you before the show, that there was – people in there that there was somebody in there they lost his job and um mm-hmm. he had three businesses he lost that and he lost his family and he didn't want to vote for either people so that's that's pretty bad so what mm-hmm. about the people that have lost a lot and don't care anymore this is really not good you know what can other people do do you think to try to influence people that say maybe you need to vote like what I did say if you're not happy with the way it is now, then maybe you need to change who you voted for. Mm-hmm. Well, again, the associate was very sad last poli- week, I, you know, listening to that. I'm sure. The chat. Yeah, I think in, in this particular election, there's also a lot of focus on whether to vote for or against the incumbent. And that's on some level normal, because anytime there's an incumbent president running for a re-election, the first decision voters make is, are they happy with the president or not? Yeah. And so in certain races, it kind of didn't matter who the challenger was 
because the president was going to be reelected. So if you look at yeah. like, the 2012 election, it's not that Governor Romney was a bad candidate. It was that voters like President Obama were going to keep him. And so right. even if Governor Romney had run a perfect campaign, his odds of getting elected were very low. Or the same thing for Senator Dole in 1996, same thing for Vice President Mondale in 1984. Like, their degree of difficulty was very high because the public generally was happy with the president. Yeah. So then yeah. the challenger, you still, parties still want to run a good challenger in case something comes up or something changes. They still want to pick the best challenger they can. But the identity of the challenger isn't as important because the president's likely going to be reelected unless something dramatic happens. Well, but this year, because the president's very unpopular, the primary for the Democratic Party mattered more. So now there's a lot of yeah. people who are voting against Trump. And I think the challenge for the Biden campaign is making sure enough people are voting for Biden and not just against Trump. Because in order to get energy, you want them to also feel excited about the candidate they're voting for. And that's how you can convince other people. It's harder to convince other people with a purely anti-message. It's easier to get people to vote on a more pro-message. So I think that's going to be one of the things we're going to look for in the debates is how effective a job the Biden campaign does of of explaining here are their proposals, here are their policies, here's what he's going to do. And because there haven't been a lot of big public events, there haven't been as many opportunities for him to do that and talk directly to voters as there normally would be in a year without COVID. So voters in general are very ready to throw Trump out. The question is how many of them are going to switch over to Vice President Biden. And because he's a well-known figure in general, the polls have been very favorable to him this entire election cycle. Yeah. So both national polls and state-by-state polls, he's had a big lead pretty consistently since he became the nominee. Yeah, so that, it's likely true. that will be the situation, but still – Things could change between now and election day. Yeah, which right, you know, and and you know, as in other elections, I mean, that have been in the last I don't know, forty years, whatever. We've we're in a terrible place, and so mm-hmm. I mean, it normally if some of these things had happened, you'd always the person that is in the White House at the time, they go, okay, well, you know. Uh, we're moving on because we don't like anything. But now it doesn't seem to affect some people of the COVID or the fact. I mean, I've had show after show, and almost every guest, they're not really back to normal in any way. They're not. They're no. They no. They're not working. You know, and there's a lot of them are working from home, and then there's others. You know, that. Just uh, you know, everything is not the same for them. They're, they're teachers. They're worried. I mean, there's so many different problems now, which is hard to really, when you're really thinking about it, why people would vote for the president that's in right now, but they will. And so this is why this is such a strange election, because things are bad. You know, I mean, and there are people. I mean, even as an author, you're not going to book signings, you're not going to conferences, or right. you're not speaking engagements. All virtual. You know, <laughs> go ahead. Yes, everything is virtual, and yeah. you know, which you know, you need contact with people. You know, and I think that's a problem. You know, and so I'm wondering what will happen. We'll all see what will happen because we all know that there's so we don't know about how long COVID will last, but it's already. Mm-hmm. A long time, like the first couple months, everybody said, "Okay, fine." 
then then there was three months mm-hmm. and four months and five months and six months and seven months now. You know, we're right in there, and it's like. Can people handle this mentally? I'm not sure. And that's why if people aren't going to vote, this isn't a help Mm -hmm. for anything. You know, by saying you're not going to vote isn't helping the Mm -hmm. situation. You know, this is is why there's such a problem right now. You know, and every person that's been on the show, I mean, every guest, they are all, whatever they've done in their life, they're Mm -hmm. all not doing the same thing. And we've all adjusted because we have to, but nobody's thrilled about it. And and yet there are people that aren't wearing masks, and medically we need to wear them. But if if it continues this way where people don't follow any of the protocol, then it doesn't look like we're going to get out of this. And, you know, even if, if Joe Biden does win, he admitted the fact that it's going to be hard because this is not easy. We are right now in a mess, and we haven't even begun to know who's off of work because pretty soon more people will be off of work. And so I think this is a big issue. That's one of the issues. If people are not working, we never had anything like this. Well, we've we've had situations like this, but this situation has really shown the importance of federal leadership and and governors, too. Yeah, like you yeah. can tell oh, which yeah. governors have done a good job and which governors haven't yeah. by looking at trend lines and how things are going. So this COVID crisis not only speaks to the importance of presidential leadership, but it also really speaks to the, how important it is who your governor is. Yes. So for example, I never paid attention Illinois, that much. Gov- to be truthful, I didn't. And right. I think a lot of yeah. people had no idea the powers the governors have and how well mm-hmm. they handled this. But if you saw a few states like us in Illinois or, or Washington State or New York that got hit a little bit early, mostly because yeah. of airports. And the yeah. fact that before we really had this under control, there were people traveling through who didn't know they had it or asymptomatic carriers, and there was a lot of spread in big cities. And also just yeah. these cities are denser. So when yeah. you're asymptomatic in a carrier, it's a lot easier to spread to a lot of people when you're around a lot of people. But if you look at those kind of cities like Seattle, New York, and Chicago that were hit very early, they've largely stabilized and have stabilized at a much lower rate than they were, and that's partly because of good leadership and also yeah. follow, other regular people following the rules. Whereas you look at, yeah. for example, I was in Missouri recently where the governor who kept claiming that he doesn't need the government to tell him how to wear a mask now has COVID-19, and so does his wife. And so yeah. it really matters who <laughs> the governor is. Yeah, it does. Yeah, you but know, at the, right, at the presidential yeah. level, too, like, you, all you do is look at other countries and look at how they've handled the virus and seen, like, other places have really got under control fairly quickly. There are countries where day-to-day life is basically now back to what it was, other than yeah. the loss of life, obviously, in the meantime. But yeah. that today, six months out, people have largely been able to return to the way things were safely because they have things like nationwide testing, contact tracing, and a really solid plan. Yeah. And we, and we don't yeah. have that. It's one thing, yeah. like I understand, there was one thing early in March for people to say, well, there wasn't a plan now. People didn't know it was coming or whatnot. But we're six months out yeah. and there's still no federal plan. I know. There's now been ample time to put together a response, and we don't have one. And so that's why that's the number one issue when they ask voters, like, what issue do you care most about in this election? COVID keeps coming up number one, which makes sense. It's the crisis of the moment. Yeah, it's definitely. With the, yeah. With, with the recession being a close second, which is also a crisis yeah. of the moment. And neither yeah. of those had to happen. Other countries managed to no. evade both the situations. It yes. wasn't like they also, did, they also had problems, 
but we've dealt with pandemics relatively recently too. Like there was an Ebola yeah. outbreak that could have been a pandemic here. There was a swamp right, outbreak right, that could have right, been a pandemic. Right, right, you're right. You're right about that because mm-hmm. you know it never did happen. And see that that is good leadership because it never happened. Well, so, you know, like well, they, it, you know, it well, could have been it, very it came, bad. It came here and we you know, lost and I've, yeah, I've mentioned it, it before, here, you know, did, I was medical, lives, but there was a response. Yeah. Yeah. Not that it didn't happen. It's when it hit. When right. It hit, but it did it happen. But right, quickly. right, and, right. And nothing. Right. And if you don't respond, like right now, we're it's still a mess because um, you know mm-hmm. I any any doctor I've talked to in the past. I mean, I worked for doctors for years, and I talk to them right. a lot. And you know, and when I go to a doctor's office and I see actually what is going on, you know, I mean, there's a lot of doctors that have retired early. Because this mm-hmm. is just, you know, and I I fear the fact that if it keeps going on, these doctors that are in every state, they're exhausted. This, you know, we could be oh, sitting yeah. here, you know, having dinner, watching TV, whatever. They're not doing that. They are constantly mm-hmm. working because the hospitals are still busy. It's not like they're mm-hmm. not busy. And so that's a big problem that all the doctors, nurses, I mean, all the assistants, everybody out there, and they're at risk. And, you know, uh, I when I went to, uh, I was having a blood test taken for my annual, and so the lab mm-hmm. tech was talking to me, and she said, believe it or not, I go, how's it going? She goes, well, somebody was here, and they weren't happy about wearing masks, but they came in wearing a mask, and then when they had, they had their blood drawn, they took off the mask and coughed right in the... Um, laboratory technician's face and she said i couldn't believe it It was shocking i mean she took off a man and coughed in her face and i was like this is this is bad because every time this happens more people spread it and that this can be stopped if people would wear masks you know and keep using sanitizer and now when I go into the grocery store, at the beginning, there was not sanitizers. Now they're all over the place. So there's no nobody could say you can't get a little bottle right. of sanitizer. You know, it's everywhere. But, I mean, it's getting people, you know, and I think one of the problems is, is that people that don't wear masks, they kind of have the attitude now is, hey, this can't happen to me. But that's not true. And that is what's sad. Well, it's, it's, they have the attitude that it can't happen to them, but they also have the attitude that they don't care if it happens to somebody else because of that. Right. And that's exactly. the big problem. Exactly. It's, it's, one thing, it's, it's one thing to take the idea of you're responsible for your own life and whatnot, but the idea that you're actively endangering other people is a level of selfishness that's frankly un-American and doesn't match with the history of this country. Yes. <laughs> They, you know, but that's true. You know, right? Yeah. You know, and okay. So now, we, then we have another issue with filling the, you know, Ruth Bader's, you know, seat. Right. So, do you want to talk a little bit about okay. that? Because I think that that's on people's minds of what's happening right now. Because a lot of us thought, you know, we don't, you know, we just know what we see, but we don't delve into things because it's not something we actually were thinking about. And now this is right uh, on top of the election, on top of everything else. We have this going on. So that's doubly confusing for people. So talk a little bit about that for people, what they need to know about this. Yes, yeah, so for people who don't pay a lot of attention, the reason why this is so controversial is that in the last year of President Obama's term, Justice Scalia passed away. And so President Obama had, as he's constitutionally required to, 
nominated a justice. And he nominated a justice in Merrick Garland, who's now become much more of a household name than he was at the time, yes. to, fill the, to fill the seat. And he was intentionally trying to pick a compromise candidate. So um, Senator Orrin Hatch, who was at the time one of the senior Republicans in the Senate, had even specifically claimed, you know, he's not going to pick a compromise candidate like Merrick Garland. He's going to pick someone far left. And President Obama picked Merrick Garland, the specific guy he had mentioned. And Mitch McConnell, the Senate Majority Leader, made up a, made up a rule that had never existed before. That he decided that in the last year of a president's term, the Senate shouldn't confirm the justice. Now, it has been done before. Last year of President Reagan's term, the Supreme Court's justice position was confirmed by the Senate. There's a track record of it being done. But he just decided because he, he wanted to try to keep that seat open in case he got a Republican president. He would just, and he didn't have an objection to Garland specifically, and that's an important thing to understand. He was basically saying that President Obama did not have the right to nominate a justice in the last year of his term, no matter who it was. So it was an objection to that judge, because that's happened before. Where the Senate's yeah. rejected a specific judge because that specific judge's lack of qualifications or um, positions or something like that. Mm-hmm. This was purely the idea of the president nominating a judge. And that was a really dangerous precedent to set. And I talk about that in the 2016 edition of the book because it now creates, by the time you break a norm, it now creates a situation where when the Democrats are in that position, then they have to do it too just to get even, which isn't good either. And right. so they're put in a position where they have, they, have, they have two choices, both of which are bad, which is they do it two, right, two wrongs make a right, or they let him get away with it. And either of those is a bad thing. Yeah. So it puts, the, it puts the opposition party in a no-win position. So now, right. obviously, just Ginsburg just passed away. Donald Trump's nominating a replacement in the last year of his term, and in the last closing weeks of his term, or closing months, I should say, because he's in office until January. And they're, they're moving ahead with it. And people have voted already. And, oh, but people voting one way or the other... If, if Mitch McConnell's rule that he's created out of thin air is that the president can't nominate someone in the last year of their term, in theory that would apply here too. It's the naked partisanship of it that's making people really angry. Because you can't – in this country, we shouldn't have two different sets of rules. And under McConnell's leadership, we've created that in many situations where there's one set of rules for everybody else and one set of rules McConnell can break when he wants to. And he's gone away with that in a number of ways. And that's why so many people say, how did we get to this place now? I mean, that mm-hmm. that's a question that people are asking themselves. They don't, you know, anybody, yeah. you know, a lot of people talk about this. It's not just, you know, mm-hmm. it's just they want to know how we got to this situation where people mm-hmm. are so, I mean, they're fighting all the time. And th- this wasn't mm-hmm. the norm. And and the only thing yeah. that Biden was saying, which was because he he's been in politics for over 40 years, is that he can mm-hmm. go across and say, let's work this out and let's act mm-hmm. like adults. And so I think that people, when they're trying to figure out who to vote for, they're going like, why are they doing, you know, because all they see is arguing and they, they're they're very confused by the arguing because that does not help. I mean, I'm right. sure in politics is like that, but right now it's a very dangerous thing because we have so many issues on the line here. And now people are mm-hmm. saying, why are they fighting with each other constantly? And that makes people not want to vote. And so that is a problem. But knowing that Joe Biden has admittedly saying that he will work on both sides because he's done that is a help 
to maybe bring back some normalcy to the way people feel about politicians. I mean, you know, this is so bad right now to uh, where people will stay home in, because they're so upset about what's going on. And they've added it now with the judges. And, I mean, if people do like a certain person or, or, you know, party and then the judges matter to them, then it is a problem for them. That's a that's a mm-hmm. that's a game changer for people. I think, isn't it? Uh, right now. Yeah, and it's not. It's not that arguing is new. I mean, people have been arguing about political issues forever. Well, right. It's I mean, the way right. people, the way it's it's the way politicians argue has changed. So it used it's to not be only politicians; it's not people, that families. Ago. Right. There used to be people would argue about issues. People would argue about bills. People would argue about like whether they liked a yeah. specific person. But yeah. even even the most partisan of presidents tried to bring the country together on some level. And sometimes yeah. they were terrible to specific groups of people, so I'm not going right. over that at all. Right. But right. In, on balance, they saw themselves as the president of the United States. For the first time in our history, regardless of Democrat, Republican, moderate, conservative, liberal, independent, we have the first time where we have a president who openly talks about being the president of only certain states. Yeah. And is, and is actively dividing the country that way. And that's new. Yeah. And, yeah, and he's seen that from the Twitter persona going back. Right. But it's also, and people forget, he didn't just do that to Democrats and to blue states. He did that to other Republicans in the 2016 primary. Yes. Like we talk a lot about in 2016, the Trump-Clinton race. We don't talk as much about the Republican primary, where he did those same things to Marco Rubio, to John Kasich, to Ted mm-hmm. Cruz. I mean, he, he, yes, he, he lied to Ted yes. Cruz's father, to yeah. JFK. Yeah. He lied yeah. about he sold really insulting things about Ted Cruz's wife, but he doesn't. He didn't only do it to his Democratic opponents. He did it to other Republicans too. Yeah. And the way he won, that I don't think we talk enough about, is that the two primary systems, the two parties, are very different structurally, not just in terms of the candidates. So the Democratic Party is not exactly proportional, but somewhat proportional. So it's not as if it's, you have two candidates, one wins sixty percent, one wins forty percent. They don't get six and four delegates but they do each get delegates and state by state those are divided up. So you can finish second in Democratic primaries for a while, hang in, and then as people drop out, if their support naturally goes to you, you can win. And that's what happened with Vice President Biden this time. You know, Senator Sanders won the first couple primaries. As other people dropped out, their support went to Vice President Biden and he kept winning. Right. The Republican primaries are winner take all. So at the yeah. time, Trump was running in the primary with more than a dozen candidates most of whom yeah. were much more similar to each other than they were to him. Like, even if you were a Florida Republican, you had both your former governor and your senator as your choices. So as he started winning with relatively small margins in the first couple of states, he started racking up all the delegates in some of those states. Yeah. And so then by the time enough people dropped out, they never coalesced around one opposition candidate. And by then it was too late for him to do anything about it. So all these senators and governors who talked about disliking him didn't drop out of the race fast enough. So it's not as if he won by dominating the primary, though it looks that way statistically. He won by sneaking through a very large melee with a small yeah. lead because his, his base was the most consistent. Everybody else's base was kind of dividing up the same group of people. And by that point, he was so far ahead, there was no way they could catch him. So it's not as if he was this overwhelmingly popular primary choice who won. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, and you know, I and I do think you know that there's a lot to be said about that, but it it has become so. I mean, mm-hmm. it's you know, families don't talk to each other, uh, friends mm-hmm. don't talk to each other, and as far as I can remember, this never happened because I didn't even know what people who they voted for. We never discussed that. It was just life. Mm-hmm. You know, we did our life, and everybody had mm-hmm. the things that they like in life, the things who they, you know, some of the things that they like and other person doesn't like, they argue, but not like this. This is, you know, people do not, mm-hmm. families are divided just the same mm-hmm. as uh, as the Republicans and Democrats. So I think, you know, if we can have some type of normalcy come back, I do think people will feel better because I think people are so stressed right now that they, mm-hmm. if the candidate they want does not win, this is going to be another problem. Because they're they have such strong opinions of what needs to happen, and if it doesn't, what do you think could happen? I mean, right now you have the sitting president of the United States saying he won't necessarily accept the results of the election, right. which again has never happened, regardless of what your political right. ideology is, whatever party you. Every other president has generally been in favor of democracy in America, right? And this is the first time there's ever been a president claiming. The only way he can lose is it's rigged, even though it's a lot of people say he's the least popular president in American history. We don't know that because we haven't done polling that far back. Yeah. But since polling began, he is by far the least popular president in American history. But that yeah. only goes back to Harry Truman. Yeah. Previous to that, the other presidents who potentially could have been that unpopular, and this is just anecdotal because we didn't have polling back then, but like John yeah. Tyler was very unpopular. Andrew Johnson was very unpopular. But they also yeah. were never elected. They took over when the president who was elected passed away. Right, yeah. So he's the first person to ever be elected who is this universally unpopular. So his yeah. approval rating has never hit 50%. Yeah, they would say that, standard. right, and that's, right, that's, you know, and even now mm-hmm. when going into voting, he's, you know, but that doesn't mean anything right. because it could change, you know. That's, you know, so much changes, you know, on a daily basis, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, we have so much going on that that's another thing. People, you know, they don't, yeah. if they watch the news and the next day, you know, I've had many people come on the show and said, oh, my God, we don't mm-hmm. know. We wake up in the morning, we want to see what happened overnight. We never had anything like that where every day could be something mm-hmm bad, you know, or yeah, I mean, good for one, bad for the other, and no, we never woke up yeah. like this, turning on the news to see what happened. Well, there's never, again, regardless of party or ideology, there's never yeah. previously been a president who had a new scandal almost every day. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, he's, he's committed a, but, but he, especially in the last, like, year to two years, he's committed a crime of some kind multiple times a week, almost every week. And so the amount of or a crime, a norm violation, a breaking, he, break, he violates the Hatch Act, which is federal law that people have gone to jail for violating or paid massive fines yeah. for violating almost every day. But because which it's, is, it's almost a, I every mean, day, it is unbelievable. People, I mean, you know, right. I mean because, you know, you wake up and you go, okay, now what? Mm-hmm. And, and there is a now what? Right. You know, and every day. Because it happens almost so every right. day, it's harder for people to focus on it. Yes. So when it was one thing, <laughs> right. people could focus on it more easily. And obviously there have been scandals in many other presidents before, but the sheer number yeah. of scandals makes it and – and it was actually a strategy by his, his former top strategist, Steve Bannon, who helped run the 2016 campaign and came out of the website Breitbart. Yeah. But they had, a, they had a deliberate strategy that he called flood the zone, which was if you did too many controversial and potentially 
problematic things, people wouldn't be able to focus on any one of them, and you could get away with them. Yeah, but now. And so it was a, it was a, it's, a, it's a deliberate it was a deliberate strategy. It wasn't just something that happened by accident. Yeah, right. And that's. I mean, I I can see why everybody was like, confused. Right. They did something like Watergate that took down President Nixon. That was the thing that wasn't happening early in the first term. Came across during his reelection bid, and then obviously unraveled and revealed much more. Right. But even then, it wasn't a bunch of different things. It was a number of things linked to one particular right, right. series of crimes. Right. Right. And that you could focus on one thing and go, this happened and that was it. You know, mm-hmm. Watergate happened. Okay. But we have many things right. and none of them to me, you know, as far as I can see equal anything like ever in the past that I can right. remember. And in the case of President Nixon, eventually enough information had come out that a delegation of Republican senators, including the former nominee, Barry Goldwater, right. went to the White House and told him to resign. Yeah. And told him if he did not resign, he would be impeached and removed from office. Yeah. And that's, that's the biggest difference is that right now, under Mitch McConnell, the Senate has not been holding him to account. So during the impeachment yeah. hearings, you had a number of senators who admitted he did the crime he was accused of. Like Susan Collins, Lamar Alexander, multiple Republican senators said, like, well, yeah, he did it. But I think he learned his lesson. I'm not going to vote to convict him. He right, himself admitted right. to the crime on unbelievable. TV. Right, that's true. He, he, didn't, he, didn't, he didn't deny that he did it. He said he did it and that it was a perfect call. So he wasn't, like, denying the charges against him. He was just claiming yeah. that because he's president, he gets to do it. You know, you've always been involved. And again, that's very different. Yeah, you've been always, since I know you've always been involved in this, but there are people, you know, out there like myself that really have learned a lot, you know, and I am happy that I've learned so much over the last several years because I did not know a lot of things. And I think I've talked to a lot of people on the shows and other, you know, we are much more educated on what happens here, you know, where we were not before. Unfortunately, we've had all these issues to learn about, but, you know, and I do think that. It will help people, and I'm hoping that people that are voting will pay attention to all of these things and know that some of these things are very wrong. And nobody ever got away with anything like this before. So we'll we'll have to see, you know, but if you would talk to someone, you know, they would disagree with that, and they'd just say, oh, it's that's the way it is. But it is not the, that way it is. You know, this is not how America was. We always, you know, it was a, the rule of law you know, where we believed in the judicial system and everything else. So, I mean, when you talk to people, I see you're not going right now in person, which is, you know, that's what's sad also about the COVID, Mm because to get the feedback in person of what, you know, younger people are thinking about right now, because that one-on-one or, I mean, whatever, when you're out speaking to a a school, that matters because they are asking questions. You know, and you don't have that feedback coming, you know, as when you're speaking even, on, you know, on a Zoom or whatever. It's not the same, you know, but um, it's the best we can do right now. So you do have some things coming up, right, that you're, you, you're doing. I, th- I think I saw something online. You'll be doing an yes, engagement yes, speaking. Yes, I'm, I'm speaking to a school in New Jersey, but it's not up in the public. I'm fairly soon. I'm doing a a literary festival in Ottawa, Illinois, on October 17th. I'm still booking a few more events, so I don't have the dates on yet. And they're all But that's virtual. one of the things... No, the Ottawa one is going to be in person, but it's socially distant okay. outdoors. 
at a park. Outdoors, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not just me. It's a number of authors. Right, which is good. Mm-hmm. You know, authors. Uh, most of the authors that I've had on that do a lot of conferences, they are they're beside themselves. I mean, they're just. I mean, this is how sure. they've lived their life forever, going to conferences mm-hmm. and going, you know, to different conventions all over the place. And you know, they're all not. There's nothing right now. And even you know, so many writers, you know, which you know too, you write in coffee shops, and you know, and sure. that has been hard for people because I think that. A lot of it seems to be very, very universal that writers seem to go to places like that. You've always done that. Mm-hmm. Well, also and, now that you're, I'm working my day job from home, in addition to that, yeah. it's also harder to make a distinction between like, okay, now I'm off work, now I'm switching right. over to my writing. Right, exactly. Right. And it is hard. So I finished a new book you that know. comes out in 2021, and getting that done was hard. Yeah. Because I had to write the last yeah. two months of it or three months of it in, in quarantine. Yeah. Do you, do you miss interviewing politicians like you used to do? You know, you did some, you know, you did that for years. Do you miss those interviews mm-hmm. one-on-one? Well, I mean, sometimes. Yeah. Because, you know, yeah, I mean, you just learn so much sometimes from an interview with someone, you know, a one-on-one, mm-hmm. you know, uh, that you might not have, you know, it's not the same always as if you're just, you know, if it's on the phone or whatever. But when you're in person, there's something about that personal mm-hmm. contact that people need. And I'm hoping that, you know, soon mm-hmm. this will happen. Because I think that, you know, without that, we're missing a lot. You know, uh, you know, like you're saying, you don't know. You can't. Dis- it's like you wake up in the morning and then you're working. And then you're done with work mm-hmm. and you're still home. Right. You didn't go anywhere. So it's. You know, and that is difficult, I think. So I think one of the things everybody's looking forward to is if we do have some leadership that will change or, you know, or if it is the same leadership, if we will have something different to wake up for mm-hmm. where we will know that everybody's doing the same thing and we can just let this end, you know, because a vaccine yeah. is not that we don't have one right now. So I think we're going to have right. to do things until we have one. And and if we have one, I don't think people, everybody's going to have it. Do you have any um, thoughts on that about how the vaccine's going and what you think about that? I mean, there's there's no way to know. As far as the vaccines go, even the ones that are doing the job developing so far, they still have to test it. They still have to see what yes. the side effects are. Like, there's no way to really. Right. There's no way to give an accurate timetable right now of when it will be ready. Exactly, I, can, I agree. They're I thinking, totally. of, thinking of timetables of like what stage they're in on different um, processes, but until they until you know it's safe and also how to distribute it, and yeah. that's the place where federal plan is really important. Right. Because we right now don't even have a federal plan for distributing testing. Yeah. But well, we still don't have you know, testing, still, and used, that's the other thing. You know, right. which you know, it would be so helpful if we had that. You know, um, yeah. because that you know, as a person that did cultures for years, working for a pediatrician, working in the hospitals, you know, mm-hmm. and you know, some of those cultures when I, you're watching that, you know, you really have to do it right. And if it's not done right, it may not be accurate. So I mean, that's another thing to think of. You know, you just you know, mm-hmm. even the, people don't really realize even a throat culture. Not everybody can do that. You know, you have to, it's it's not that easy. You know, people are gaggers. I mean, things like that and all of these things. And that's why we have so many things that are, they're not sure if it's, you know, if it's, you know, if the results are right. And so we have so many questions. And I'm hoping that we can come to some sort of normalcy because I don't know how much people can actually, how many, 
I don't think they can handle much more. I think people are really at the point where they need to have things change in some way or another. And they can't. I don't think they can handle this anymore because you don't know what to do with your kids, even if they're at school. And now people are getting. Now the kids are getting sick, and the vaccine they yeah. haven't tested it on kids. Which you're right. I mean, well, who that knows how long they could take? Child or adult. But that's. But again, it didn't have to be this way. No, it did not. I mean, as, as you know, I used to live in New, Ze- in New Zealand. Their response was yes. fantastic. They were, they were basically back to normal within a f- you know a few difficult weeks at the beginning, like everybody else went through. And yes. they were having live sports with full crowds in the early in the late spring. Right, and because Australia. Of the dedicated, I, they had a know, very they had a very strict very strict crackdown early on. Yeah. And then yeah. had a national yeah. plan in place. So we can we could have done that. The challenge now is now the things loose in the wild. So yeah. even the kind yes. of plan that would have worked really well in March or April of 2020 no. may not work in late 2020 or early 2021. I know that. Because now that seems so widespread. Yeah. Yes. You know, and I'm sure so you see better, the doctors on TV. They're talking when they're talking and they're seeing mm-hmm. all these events that our people are standing right next to each other, even in the protests. I mean, I, I'm just watching mm-hmm. people and I'm praying because honestly, these people, they, a lot of them, we don't know, but they're getting, they have to be getting sick. There's just no, it just, it, there's no way that they can't be getting sick. You know, they're right so close to each other. It's not like the flu. The flu, when you, mm-hmm. when a person has the flu, they cough or they sneeze or they're something is, you, you know, they have a fever, mm-hmm. you know, but it, with this, you can be standing next to someone and they have no symptoms. Uh-huh. It's asymptomatic, and then there you go, and that goes on and yeah. on and on. So I, that's you know that's a big problem. So I think when people vote, I mean that would be. Mm-hmm. I think people have to think about all these things, which is difficult. But I think right, but it's also by, very it's, it's also very important that they don't choose not to vote because of the risk of COVID. Yes. that's an important thing to really hammer home. Depending on yes. the state you're in. There are early voting options. There are vote-by-mail options. There are absentee voting options. Um, even some states like Texas that don't have universal absentee balloting, if you're over 65, they do have it. So it's important yeah. to look up your local state, figure yeah. out what their rules are, and vote as early as possible. Because all the things that are being done to the post office for political reasons, all those kind of delays, the earlier you can get your vote and get it counted, the better. Yeah. Yeah, and that's more so uh, did we forget ever. anything? I mean, is there something you that we you wanted to say that we might have forgotten? Um, I mean, we could talk about this for hours. So anything yeah. in particular topic here you want to talk about that we didn't get to? I no, time. I think we got it all. I think we pretty much did. Uh, so we know you're going to be doing, you know, some speaking. That's a good thing. And are you mm-hmm. editing? I mean, I'm always editing, but I'm, right now I'm okay. mostly editing for the same few clients. Yes, which might be me if I ever finish my book. That's it. Mm-hmm. And which I did say, I and I did say to you, whatever it is, just you'll edit it because I have gone over and over again. And which mm-hmm. you know I do. You've done all my things, and you know how that is. And the more I do it, the more I change it. And I, I vow the next time I'm just writing this and not going back and forth. I have a very bad habit of doing that. I just never got out of that habit, which you know. And then you know, so we'll mm-hmm. see how this one goes, but. I, I huh. actually this would be the third I, I, romantic comedy, but that's it. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I I'll, have a few, uh, a few voting resources for people out there. Yes. Okay. So for people for people listening, a couple things. First of all, when you're looking up your state information, don't rely on social media for that. Look up your in, look up your state's secretary of state's office. 
we look forward to directly look at those official rules. Don't rely on secondhand information from social media that may be intentionally trying to mislead you or may just be wrong. Uh, also, there's a website called Ballotpedia that I really recommend. It will tell you all the things that are on your ballot. So it will tell it based on where you live. So not only, I mean, obviously this year everyone's congressional representative is up for re-election or an open seat election. That's a great idea. The Senate is up, the president is up, but also if you have a mayor's race and what ballot initiatives you have and what those ballot initiatives are. So some states are really good at sending you the information you need to make a decision about a ballot initiative. So like here in Illinois, when we got our ballots, it came with, there's a, we have a proposed amendment to our state constitution this year, and it came with a very effective booklet that was, here's the wording of the law, here's what we do to the state constitution, here's the arguments for, here's the arguments against. And when I lived in Which California, they used to send Which out like, a, a telephone-sized book that would do that. But not every state does. Yeah, because we talked about it on the other show. We talked about it on my show last week. Mm -hmm. That that was a problem for Massachusetts, a lot of other states. And so if you're saying that our ballots Mm -hmm. are coming this way from Illinois, then at least we have time to read it. Because when you're Mm -hmm. sitting, waiting to, when you're in the voting polls and, you know, you're at the voting place, you can't always, you know, you just are, you sit there and some people just skip it because they don't really, they weren't prepared for it. So this way, if they're reading it, I think that's a good thing. I would say also for people who are still planning to vote in person rather than by mail, make sure when you look up your state's voting rules that you look up what kind of ID is required. So one of the most common ways that voter suppression happens is people will pass laws to make it impossible to use certain forms of ID as identification to vote. And that's usually done in a way that targets specific groups of people. So often racial minorities, college students, young voters, and we'll try to find IDs that they can't use as easily, or we'll change the rules from last time so that people are surprised when they get to the polls. So look up the rules in advance. Make sure you bring the right, proper and they're ID. Right, and they're not going to go you, home and get it and come back. They're not. Right. Mostly, well, especially after waiting in long lines. So make sure you do that in right. advance. Exactly. If you don't have exactly. that kind of ID, make sure you yeah. get it. So yeah. like, just to give one example, in Wisconsin, you used to be able to vote with your college ID if you were a college student. So that's yeah. really where you live. It's where you spend most of your time. Right. That's where the local decisions affect you more than your permanent address. Well, in 2016, they made it so that couldn't happen. And Wisconsin was decided by essentially one vote per precinct. Yeah. So that that was one of the things that swung the Wisconsin election, where the college students were often not able to vote because they changed the rule on them. So they had voted when they were 18 right. and we're now 22. That's, that's the rules true. Were I, I think yeah. that I think a lot of people thought, which you know, which I always wondered myself, why we don't have one universal type of plan where we vote the same way because you know it depends. Mm-hmm. Like you know, if I've moved a couple of times, so each time I go to vote, it mm-hmm. may be a different place in in Illinois, but it's not right. the same. You know, and even right. a, and it's it, that I always found was strange. Why why can't we have one certain ballot or some? You know, it it wasn't like that. It was different in a lot of times. So I think that that's another thing. I think you're, mm-hmm. that's good to say that we don't know until we get there sometimes about the ID if they don't have a driver's license or if they this is their first time voting. They don't have a signature of theirs, right. and that's the signature I think yes. in Illinois. They look at your signature. Well, your signature in, in any state, but. Yeah, it's really it's well. Really important I, I, to they check don't that ask for. They, they haven't asked me for years and a lot of things. But you know, the mm-hmm. sign, once I sign, well, that's it's, what they look at. Well, I don't know well, why they sign in person. That you, it's when you sign, we go in person, they check you in manually. Yeah. But when it's coming by mail, they want to make sure it's you. 
That's hard. Right, exactly. That, that's exactly. what it is. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. all that So I think that, that's going to be confusing for people. Right. It was always that way if you voted absentee. It's just when you vote in person because you're showing them an ID and they're checking you off a list. It's different. Right. I've never voted absentee. You know, I've always voted at the, uh, you know. I mean, I, I had mentioned this before, you know, how important it is to vote and how great it feels to vote. And I was talking, which you actually edited my book, you know, to life, but Sally, when she came to America, that was the one thing that she was so excited about, being able to vote and being an American. So I think if you're out there listening, I think please vote. You know, whichever way you vote, it's to, it's to me. I can remember the first time I voted. It was so exciting to be able to have Absolutely. a say. You know, don't you remember how exciting it was? I mean, I think it's very exciting. You know, yeah, my first and I one think was the primary that I voted for absentee because that was the way of college. Right. But you know, when I you actually go there, the I just thought mm-hmm. it was so. I mean, I thought it was so excited to go there, and I've mentioned it to people, and they some people said, "Oh, they didn't think anything of it." I thought it was. So exciting, you know, to be able to have a say. So I think that that we all get a say, and so that's why if you vote, this is you get your opinion out there. You are you are the one that's signing it, and that's how you feel. So I think that if you weren't going to vote, I hope people do vote, and they also vote and and follow the rules of masks and sanitizers, and we can hopefully get ourselves in a better place. Absolutely. And you know. also they should make sure if, if they have already registered to vote but have not voted yet. So if you're out there, you've registered, but you haven't gotten a chance to go to the polls yet, check your registration before you go, which you can do through your state's, usually the Secretary of State's office within your state. Mm-hmm. So you can you can just Google, check, let's say Alabama voter registration, but make sure you're still on the rolls because another way that voter suppression happens is kicking people off the rolls. And that can be done for a number of reasons, a number of excuses. Often it's you have a name that's similar to the name of the felon. So it's not your fault, but your name is the same uh, as somebody else or similar to somebody else. There are so many things. And, and I mean, yeah. yeah. Right. What about, these, like, what about, if, you, what about if you don't have a driver's license? If you don't have a driver's license, I think people, you know, that's one form that state. they use. And that, that, mm-hmm. that's, every state is different. Is that what you're saying? Every state is different. So, yep. again, that's one of the reasons to check what ID you need to bring. Some will accept yeah. the state ID. Some will accept the college ID. Some won't. Some will accept the utility bill. Some won't. So just make sure you know what to bring before you go so you don't stand in yeah. line for an hour and a half and right. then can't vote. But yeah. on top of that, too, even if that happens to you, and on a, even if you, you should vote as early as you can, you should make sure you do all these things. But if yeah. you don't and you wind up just going day of, they say you don't have your registration, they are required to let you cast what they call a provisional ballot. It's mm-hmm. not as good, but rather than just walk away, do that. What is that? So a provisional ballot, a provisional ballot is basically they don't consider you registered. But this was part of the 2002 Help, Help America Vote Act, which was a response to the 2000 election. And it means that in an election that is close enough, they will count provisional ballots by still checking it against the registration so if they made an if they made an error, if they consider it an error, they will still count you. If they've just blatantly stolen your vote, they won't. But it gives you some hedge against that being counted at all. So provisional ballots are a worst case scenario. You shouldn't go in planning to do that. But if you show up, they don't count you as registered. They're not accepting your ID or something like that. 
at least a provisional ballot gives you a chance that your vote might get counted. But again, make sure you do everything at the beginning so that that doesn't happen. Right. Vote as early as you can. Make sure you're make sure you're registered. Make sure you bring the proper ID. If you're worried about health, vote absentee if you can. If your state allows it, but make sure you check the rules in your state, because you'll hear a lot of things on social media and and even the news about voting rules, but they may not apply to your state. So make sure you know. Yeah. And don't just focus on the presidential election. Make sure you also know whether you want to reelect a member of Congress, because every member of Congress is on the ballot this year. Make sure if you're in a race with a Senate race. You've thought about that. And depending on the state, you may have state officials, you may have local officials like a mayor or a school board or a county clerk or somebody like that. You may have judges in certain states, and especially with ballot initiatives, because those may affect you a lot. A number of ballot initiatives may raise your taxes, lower your taxes, give you services you don't currently have, take away services you currently have. Make sure you know the language of those and what they mean before you go. And so websites like Ballotpedia are really useful. Websites like WeVote.org is really useful. Uh, Rock the Vote is really useful. But there's all these kind of nonpartisan informational sites that you can go to rather than just relying on social media or partisan organizations. Right, I think. Right. See, that's, that's the thing. You know, there are ways to vote. You just have to know what to do. And a lot of times people don't. And they don't want to ask people because they don't want to act like they don't know what's going on. But that, you know, not everybody knows everything. So I think it's a good thing if they will at least, you know, find out where they can vote and have alternatives because they may need them. I mean, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. And you don't, and they don't know if they're going to be sick. I mean, nobody knows. I mean, that's the thing. You don't know if you're going to get COVID. So if you want to vote before and don't and don't plan on just going there, you know, so you and or missing it because you got sick and you didn't vote. Yeah, and this year more than any other now. year, early, yeah. early, early is important. Yeah. Like early is always yeah. a good idea, but this is the first time where if if decisions are not made on election day, you have one yeah. candidate offering to cause chaos about it. So the yeah. earlier your vote can get in, the earlier it can be counted, the earlier it's treated as legitimate, the better. Right. Yeah. So that, that's Just, a new right. problem that we haven't had before. Yes, we never had that. And so I'm hoping, you know. I think it's like the post office has been a thing that's been never been politicized before. We've had it's con- it's constitutionally mandated. We've had the post office yes. as long as we've had a country. And this I is the first that. time someone's tried weaponizing the post office for partisan electoral purposes. That's new. Yeah. And so because we don't know what the impact that's going to be yet, it's just better if everyone votes as early as they can so that ballots being delivered late doesn't swing the election. And it's unlikely that that will swing the presidential election just with the sheer numbers, but yeah. that may swing your mayor's race. That may swing your school board yeah. race. That's important to think of it that way too, and not just right. That's the other things. That's why it is important, right? So I, you know, it's good to know there are other issues that you might have to vote for. So that's you. You can be prepared of whatever state you live on, what you what live in, wherever you are. You might know what you need to vote for. So because you know, by the time after you're standing there for an hour and a half, you're, you're getting tired already, and you just want to vote. You know, so I mean, you know, that's what's going to happen because I I couldn't believe people. Even the last election, I saw, and I know people that stood there. You know, I I think some states you don't have as many. And now I think there'll be less places to vote. So I'm, you know, that's going to be an issue. Standing in line, mm-hmm. it's not that easy to stand for two hours yeah. in line. Yeah. Er- and they were. Early, I, I early, met early. last time they were too. Yeah. 
Sometimes it's longer than that. Yeah. And that's hard. It is hard. And that's Mm -hmm. what I'm saying. You're tired and you're aggravated. That's what happens. People (laughs) do get there and they go, all right, fine, I'll just vote. You know, but just to say I'll just vote, This is you've got to know what you're voting for. So I appreciate you coming on. And <clears throat> you know, so what else? Do you have something else you wanted to add to that? I was going to say also, if you want to learn more about it, the book is Votes of Confidence. It's available anywhere you buy books. I always encourage people to buy it from their local bookstore or to look up their yeah. local bookstore through Indiebound when they look for it. But you can also buy it from Amazon, Barnes Noble, Walmart, Target, and any other big right. retailer that sells books. And uh, I have and if, Jeff. And if you're, um, and if you're I have your. Abroad, I have your. Uh, JeffFleischer.com on my show page, as well as MarshaCasperCook.com. But so if they come onto the show page, they can. Your website is there, and Amazon. You know, if they go on Amazon, or you're everywhere. So you know, and um, you have other books also. Yes. So you know, take a look. At, you know, a lot of times if you look online, you know, a lot of times people when they're on the show, you know, there's a lot of other books that they have. So you have several other books, and um, right. yeah, the bookstores a lot of them aren't open now, but you can still call them well, and they can order it for you. Right, exactly. And, and some are doing pickups, some curbside pickup, and things like that. And this particular edition is available as hardcover, paperback, or Kindle or Nook. Yeah. So there are a bunch of different ways to get the book. And it's available overseas, too, in a number of different bookstores. Right. You know. That's good that you said that. I need to say that about my books also. <laughs> I forget my to do that. But anyway, so thank you so much for coming on, and I hope everybody votes oh, out you. there. And um, I think you've, been, you've really touched a lot of important parts of voting. You know, there's, it's not just voting this year. There's a lot of other things people have to know. So I thank you so much for explaining it. And uh, I'll be on next Tuesday. Yes, and thank you very much. Take care. Goodbye, everybody. Thank you for listening. Have a good night.